family. Multiplication, restoration. I'm Dahadi Lewis. Join me, Noah Odom and Hayden Radden, as we come to you from Atlanta, St. Louis, and Las Vegas, as we seek to add value to your church planning journey. We'll have real-time, authentic conversations that are relevant to the life of the church planner and pastor. Join us as we hear from leaders of this movement from across North America and discover what it really takes to plant churches everywhere for everyone. Welcome, everybody, to the We Are Send Network podcast. We are live here at SBC 2021. Man, first time ever. I am Noah Oldham, the lead pastor of August Gate Church in St. Louis, joined, as always, by Hayden Ratner, senior pastor of Walk Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, Hadi Lewis, the lead pastor of Blueprint in Atlanta. And today we have very special guest, the ineffable... Ed Stetzer. Ineffable. Hey, give, give it up for Ed, everybody. I thought, he cussed I thought he cussed me out. I thought you were going to say something else when you said that. <laughs> I, I'm glad you did. Guys, it's been an amazing week. We've had the opportunity to be a part of the annual meeting, this family of churches that we are a part of, and to celebrate what God is doing looking forward into the next year. That's what we want to focus on in today's episode. Where are we going next? What's happening? Ed, I would love for you just to hear from you from the get-go. How are you feeling at the end of this week, uh, the annual meeting, as we close things up? Okay, I'm not an AM employee, so what I'm about to say is neither endorsed or approved beforehand by any employee, person, or representative of the North American Mission Board. Um, you know, I think ultimately that Southern Baptists this week chose a diverse future. Uh, they chose not to believe some false reports, and they chose instead to recognize that, you know, the, the largest Lutheran denomination in America has 9,000 churches called the Evangel ELCA. Uh, there are more Southern Baptist churches that are non-Anglo than there are any churches, entire denomination called the ELCA. And I think people don't realize that. And when you came to the Send Network conference, you walked in the room, and I brought lots of reporters in the room. That's what I do, spend a lot of time with reporters. I brought lots of reporters in the room who were surprised, and I said, this is church planting. This denomination is replanting itself every few decades, and it's diverse, and it's younger. And let me also say, thank God for the wonderful older pastors, and thank God for white pastors, and black pastors, and Latino, and Asian, and everybody else. But the point, amen, there you go. But the point is, Southern Baptists chose a diverse future, and they chose church planters over false reports that were, being seeping, were seeping into the convention. So I'm super thankful for where we are this week. Wow. Wow. Dahadi, man, he just mentioned it, that we're replanting this denomination based on rates every 40 years. 8,200 plants since 2010. 60% of them are non-Anglo. How does that give you hope, Dahadi, for this vision of seeing a network that plants churches everywhere for everyone? I mean, over the last few years, it's really been my heart and goal. You know, I have a personal, like, endeavor. Is I want to be the last generation that has to leave the urban context for sound discipleship. You know, and I really believe that the Sin Network has, has given us the best platform, you know, to do that because I think that that's God's heart, you know, and just bringing a tangible expression of the gospel into every community across all of North America and beyond. And so it really is exciting because part of this, and just like what Ed just said, like this room represents, you know, what America and North America, Canada, you know, it looks like, right? It's we're in the most diverse continent you know, and by being here, give us a chance to, to see the reflection 
of the diversity that we have. And, you know, and that's so my goal has always been this. I just want, you know, the Sin Network, I want the Southern Baptists to be able to reflect what our countries look like. Hey, Hayden, you are from out west, out in Vegas, and you love your city. We're here in Nashville. It's kind of like some people have called it uh, the buckle of the Bible belt in some ways. Uh, but we have a lot of guys from, from out west and from places that aren't considered the south. How has that been encouraging you this week to see people really in this network gather together uh, to be a part of this bigger family? Yeah, it's been really encouraging. Um, first, I want to say nobody rocks the black blazer like Ed Stetzer. You look good, man. Is that black or blue? It's actually blue. And so I was, it comes, I was when you become a professor and a dean, you're issued a blazer that you have there to wear is. at all times. Sharp. So I'm learning from you. But I, I keep to, I got the shirt untucked. It's kind of like a it's like a ministry mullet. It's business on the right. top, party on the bottom. There we go. It kind of has a West Coast vibe though. It does do it. It does do it. I like that. Yeah, I'm excited. I think it's kingdom. Right? I think like Jesus is the king of the kingdom. The kingdom is West Coast, it's East Coast, it's up, down, and all around. And uh, I'm super excited because next year it's going to be in Anaheim, the annual meeting. And I pray that our West Coast family comes out strong. But um, I, d I do really sense that there's a move happening, right? And from my understanding and from my reading of Dr. Ed Stetzer's books, there's been some revivalistic stuff that's happened in the Northeast. There's been stuff that's happened in the South. There's been some movements that have taken place kind of Midwest-ish. But there hasn't been a ton of sustaining revival type move in the West. I really believe it's coming by faith that there's stuff that's about to happen in church planting efforts in the West Coast. And so I think those days are ahead of us. We got faith for that. And uh, I think the SBC family showed that, hey, we're, we're going to make room, right, for all types of different culture in that, in that space. Yeah, this last year, in the midst of this movement that we're feeling, this momentum we're seeing, uh, the mission is, is working, it's moving forward, planting of churches, then a pandemic hits. I want to take a few minutes here, Ed, and talk about the pandemic and some of the, just some of the factors now that we have to consider, some of the statistics. Everybody that knows Ed Stetzer knows that he's a stats guy. And so share with us some info that we need to be aware of, thinking forward and looking forward in the next season. Yeah, so I think a couple of things. Um, the pandemic has had a stunning impact on church planning. It's, you know, I'm, I'm at Wheaton College in suburbs of Chicago, and it's had a stunning impact on higher education. I mean, we, you know, we all our students live together, so that couldn't happen. We had to shut it all down. So, but there are a few industries, if you will, that were hit as, that were hit most hard, you know, and those were restaurants were able to come back later, and there were limitations people could do out, you know, uh, take their food out. But education, um, theaters, and churches. So churches have been remarkably hard hit during this time. What we're seeing now is um, across the country, the smaller churches are back in about 80%, larger churches. My home church is uh, High Point Church, uh, and High Point Send Network, by the way, partnered with Send as we plant churches in Chicagoland. Um, so my home church is at 60%, um, and it depends on where you are. I get that in Texas, you're all meeting together and kissing each other on the mouth. But that's not where it is in most of the country. So where I, I'm serving as the interim pastor of a church in New York City called Calvary. Um, it's right on West 57th across from Carnegie Hall, uh, St uh, Stephen Olford's old church. And uh, we're at like 25%. 
and we're only meeting every other week, and we're trying to ease back into meeting because people in New York are traumatized. I mean, this was, they're wearing masks outside. I mean, the, the SBC, having lived in, living in Chicago, the SBC just is the most I've been around unmasked people in, it's like a COVID festival. Uh, and so hopefully we all make it out. So here's the thing though. So the, 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 the pandemic impact that, but what happened is Ross Douthat at the New York Times, former evangelical, now a practicing Catholic, wrote a really important article called Waking Up in 2030. What's happened is the isolation created a cultural tumult that has fast-forwarded cultural change maybe wow. 10 years in a year. So when we saw the, mur the murder of George Floyd and we saw many, many Anglo pastors suddenly awakened to the concerns of systemic racism, which is a, actually a big part of what happened here, was a backlash to that, a greater awareness to systemic racism that we saw. So you had issues of race and then, and then, and then people got mad at you, so let's say, you spoke up on the murder of George Floyd. Matter of fact, whether or not you mentioned George Floyd in church became an issue to you afterwards. Whether you did or you didn't, all of you are nodding and you know exactly what I mean. Because if you mentioned George Floyd, and then people are mad at you because you didn't mention the riots. If you, mentioned, if you didn't mention George Floyd, people are like, well, did you care? People held up signs, say his name. So this became a cultural tumult. Then January 6th came, the Capitol insurrection. And if you mentioned the Capitol insurrection, which many, many of you did, my text lit up, I helped write statements, pastors spoke up and they said, well, did you speak up on the riots in the summertime? No, you didn't. So, and then did you wear masks or did you not wear a mask? Or did you maybe wear a mask some? And, and what happened is 25% of your church was mad at you if you wore masks saying you were a compromised coward. 25% were upset at you that you even met because you're gonna kill people by gathering together. So all of these things took place. And I used to say for pastors, if 5% of your church isn't mad at you, you're probably not doing anything significant, right? That's just part of leadership. So but true. now we're finding it's 20 to 25%, and most of us are not prepared for a scenario. And I believe this scenario is going to last years. I don't believe the pandemic ends the cultural convulsion. Every 60 years, David Brooks wrote about this in The Atlantic, every 60 years, America goes through a cultural convulsion. Now, that impacts Canada in a lesser way. Recognize, too, my wife's Canadian, my daughters are Canadian, so just so we're clear, I'm for Canada. But the point is, every 60 years, America goes through a cultural convulsion where everything you do is gonna be scrutinized as a pastor and a leader. It was in the 60s, it's here again today. You're gonna to need to build reservoirs of resilience. The hard times are not done, I don't wanna discourage you, I wanna prepare you, but the pandemic is the beginning of probably two, three, four years. Let me say one more thing, sorry I went long. 2020, 21 is the greatest global crisis of your lifetime. You've experienced a level of stress you never have before. I've been a big advocate for mental health, but I've never participated in mental health treatment. I went to my doctor in March and said, I'm experiencing a level of anxiety I've never experienced before. I was able to, didn't have to do any necessarily more, but I wanted you to hear that because many of you need ultimately now to get the kind of reservoirs of resilience that may be talking to somebody, right? So all this is sort of taking place. It's very difficult for us. However, what I want you to hear is, the last time America had a cultural tumult was 60 years ago. It was during the Civil Rights Movement. Let's look at 1968 for just a second. No one here is old enough to remember it personally. 1968 was the middle of the Civil Rights protests, right? It's the middle of the great Vietnam War protests. There were riots in the street. In Chicago, where I live, Mayor Daley told everyone to just, the police to take their batons and beat everybody into submission. It made global news. It's, on, it's a Netflix series on the Chicago 7. All this took place, right? And if you spoke up on the Civil Rights Movement, people were furious at you at your church. If you didn't, people were like, why are, why are you not having the courage to do so? 
I got a letter from Wheaton College. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated April 4, 1968. Our students held a vigil a few days later and a flood of letters came in saying, I'm never sending someone to Wheaton College again if you celebrated that man. Martin Luther King Jr. today universally affirmed, but not in 1968, right? So he was assassinated that year. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated that year. What many people have forgotten is that was one of the last global pandemics. It was called uncontroversially at the time, the Hong Kong flu. Instead of shutting everything down, they planned Woodstock, but that's another story for another day. So here's my point. 1968 was a far more divided time than it is today, far more divided. People were talking about whether the nation would survive. Pastors had to build reservoirs of resilience and a guy named Chuck Smith, matter of fact, at Anaheim next year at the SBC, I'll be preaching at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, founded by Chuck Smith, pastored by Chuck Smith. But Chuck Smith asked his daughter, who are all these crazy hippies? Can you bring me home a hippie? And his daughter brought him home, someone named Lonnie Frisbee. And they started a Bible study on Saturday night. It grew to a thousand people and then thousands of people. And by today, 20 to 30 million people claim their spiritual heritage of having become followers of Jesus because of a movement that began in a cultural tumult in 1968, not dissimilar so to our cultural tumult in 2021. The question wow. to me is, will we join Jesus on his mission in the yeah. midst of this cultural tumult and show and share the wow, love of Jesus today? I think the opportunity is great if we will say, here I am, Lord, send me. Yeah, let's talk about that opportunity because I'm with you 100%, and I think that is powerful what you just said. The, the, for us at Blueprint Church, one of the things that, has, that we've struggled with, it was literally going through this, but not having access to our people, right? right? And so I would love to get into talk to about some of the how. Like at Blueprint, we didn't meet for a year, like face-to-face for a year, and even meeting face-to-face, we took a lot. Literally, we had to tell our, we had to talk to the elders that says, hey, we got to meet because I just need to show to our black people that our white people don't, all, are not all racist. And I had to just remind them that. So, talk give, to give more on that. I think you can't catch. So what I mean by that, that yeah. is, is simply like because of the discipleship that has taken place. Because in in the past, in 2016, and those things, we were get together. We would talk about it. We right. would you talk we through would, some we, of the hard issues. I got because you. Because we got we got people in our church that voted for, you know, President Trump, and then we have people in our church who thought you were the devil because you voted for President Trump, you know, and you, and so you had this tension in there, but we were able to get together and let's talk about it. I gotcha. let's, you so know. the community needed to have a conversation. Yeah, we had the conversation. Not just seen on cable news and think that right. represents all but people. But now people are being discipled by Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's cable news. all those things, cable, cable news. news, you know, a lot of people are like, I'm not coming to church, you know, until, you know, and you said 25% of the people, the online platform. So I would love for you to talk about a little bit about the how, how as as these planters are that are struggling through that, how do we disciple our people in this generation? You know, when they, when we have some of that, the tension, half of them are not coming back. They're, you know, working. Yeah. So we're in the midst of what we're calling in our Billy Graham Center Research Institute, we're calling the great sort. So what's happening is, is that people are being discipled by their cable news choices and want what they hear on Sunday to align with what they hear on Monday through Friday on cable news. And this is really difficult and problematic because cable news and social media draws people to sim- of similar beliefs and then seeks to reinforce and sometimes radicalize those beliefs. So, so here's the challenge, right? So this is, matter of fact, this is the story of this convention. If you read, I think, I think it was in the Associated Press, um, no, the New Yorker piece, um, you know, what I said is, is that cable news is having a great impact on the Southern Baptist Convention right now. 
because all kinds of people have heard this, 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 and then someone said, oh, it's taking place in Southern Baptist leaders too, let's, let's, and, and, and it's not, it's a false report, but here's the challenge for us in local church level, right? You hear it, right? All of a sudden, um, Tucker Carlson says, if you see someone wearing a mask outside, tell, get that mask off them. If they've got kids in there, you call child abuse, right? All of a sudden, phone lines light up at church. Well, why are we still doing mask mandates? I heard so-and-so on the news. And what I would say to you is, is you're going to have to in a way that I would have advised you 10 years ago to stay out of some of these things. And this, and I don't think, now again, I'm a public commentator, don't do as I say, but do as I, don't do as I do, do as I say, or if that's so inclined. But my point is this, is that you're going to have to say sometimes, I recognize that some of you have seen on cable news, or I wouldn't say it this way, but or on the deep dark web where there's cable, where the news channels are now propagating that are so far to the right they can't, they're not even on cable distributors. You're gonna say, I know that you're seeing that, but you're going to have to elevate your ecclesiology and you're going to have to empower your elders, or whatever the term you use in your context. So what I advise people at the beginning of the pandemic, particularly when things became politicized, was to no longer say, you know, we're gonna do what the CDC says. No, what we're gonna say is, our elders have prayed this through in consultation with our local, state, and national, or province, and national health authorities. We have decided that this is what God is calling us to do as a church. Because what's happened is everything that comes down from the CDC is now seen as politicized or whatever. So what I would say is you're going to have to elevate your ecclesiology. People are going to have to see your elders as shepherding and holding spiritual responsibility and also saying, this is what we believe as a church. We don't believe everything you read on the internet. We don't believe everything you're at cable TV. And you're going to have to disciple people through that. I think one of the key things you just mentioned, so key, is relationships, right? So one of the reasons that so many pastors have had a different response to what's really been seen in, in, in maybe grassroots evangelicalism. Many, because many pastors, when they heard that, you know, there's on the news that, you know, these refugees are all bad and gonna do this or that. And pastors are like, well, we've been sponsoring refugees at our church for 20 years. And, and, and they said, well, those immigrants. Well, but we've been, we got two churches that partner with us or immigrant churches, and some of them are undocumented aliens. And, and, you know, we're okay with that. And so what happens is pastors knew better because they had experienced the relationships that helped them to shape that. So what can shape that? So what can you do? Help people in churches. Your church is already, you know, remarkably diverse. Most churches are not remarkably diverse. They're going to be much more monocultural. Having those conversations where, and one of the things I've tried to do is, I've been hosting conversations with people that you may know, like James Meeks. He's an African-American pastor in Chicago, or John Jenkins and others. These are trusted African-American leaders. So when I get them together with Anglo pastors, and they say, wait, your experience is different? Because what happens is a lot of Anglo pastors keep getting videos of the same three African-Americans that their church members are saying to them, saying, look, and they say all this is fake, all this isn't real. And then they meet some African-American pastors who say, you know, that, that my experience is just different. And so I think those relationships, and, and not just like random people because we're of different races and backgrounds, but people of common theological belief who have different lived experiences help us to understand one another better, and that's going to be key in 2022 and beyond. Well, I know we're about to have to wrap this up. I'm but sorry, I, I talked too no, long. No, no, you can keep preaching. It's all right. Um, we're at the convention. Right? I've noticed that. We it's are been here. a long week. We are here. Um, did you sit in the meeting? All, you didn't even I sit did. in the meeting. You were, at the, you were the at the booth. You had the booth, people bringing you Diet Cokes, bringing no. you snacks, vice president. No. 
Dahadi's like, I need another Diet Coke over here. People in the hall are working. So you did. President to you, sir. Yes, yeah, president. president. Oh, president of the SEND Network. President yeah. Sparrow. That's I apologize, Mr. President. Yeah. yeah. Um, there wasn't a SEND Network. When I worked for NAM, there wasn't a SEND Network. It's like 100 years ago. No, no, seriously, but a lot of us have had to deal with the press yeah. as it relates to how the Southern Baptist family, yes. and many of us have planted in areas where sometimes it's not helpful for us to be associated with Southern Baptists, and we have to deal with the, 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 the press, the bad publicity of our, whether it's the crazy uncle or whoever. It's a lot help of crazy us, uncles. Yeah, help us, help them yeah. navigate through as a church that is in a place that is not popular to be SBC, especially when the narrative in the press is not favorable, you know, concerning the SBC. How do you help pastor us, yeah. pastor them through that? Let me just say that um, you don't have to talk to any reporter. Reporters don't have a magical power that you have to talk to them. Uh, don't say no comment. Just say, you know what? We're really not engaged. Right now, I'm you know, trying to serve my local church and whatever you want to do. Uh, I, I talk to reporters a lot. I, I specifically don't talk to some reporters because they don't understand the issues. Um, particularly non-religion reporters. If it's a reporter that's connected with like RNA, Religion News Service, they tend to understand the issues. But when I get a call from somebody and they're using the word fundamentalist, for example, to describe, which is specifically against the AP style guide, I'm like, you know, I, I just don't think it's going to be a win for us to have this conversation. So you don't have to talk to a reporter. What I would also say at the end of the day is when you're pastoring a church, you know, I, I planted six churches, depending on how you count, you know, Northeast primarily. Um, you know, when, when I was in Buffalo, and I would have reporters come with me, I, I would say something like, you know, I'm not really involved in the politics of, uh, if they ask me about Southern Baptist, I'm not really involved in the politics of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm just trying to reach and serve my neighbors. And if you want to talk about that, I'm happy to talk about it. So I didn't, I didn't say no, I just, I'm not really involved in that. And they said, well, how does it impact you? I said, well, you know, again, I'm not really involved with that. Here's what I do. I mean, just, I, I keep coming back to what we do here, showing and sharing the love of Jesus in this context. Here, and here's what I would say too. I, I think that, the media is not really a thing, it's individual reporters, but it is hard to explain. I spend hours, I'm, I'm gonna be on what's called a PBS's News Hour tonight, so it's a television show like the Nightly News. And uh, I, I don't like to do like CBS, Last uh, I did CBS a couple years ago, because basically they give you an interview for you three hours and you get, I, I had 45 seconds on CBS. But I'll be on for about six minutes tonight explains the best convention. I, and I just t texted you the email where I was on another news network, and I try to say, I get, so I, I pivot from their question, which is always, how bad are these Southern Baptists? And then I say, but let me tell you a little bit maybe that you don't know. 25% of churches are, are non-Anglo, and the majority of church plants are non-Anglo. And, I'll, and I, you know, I don't know how much, because they pre-recorded me at 4.30, and then it's live at 6 o'clock. So I don't know how much of it will go on. But I will talk about you. I will talk about, if they let me, I'll talk about this breakfast. I'll talk about walking into a room of diverse women and men who are passionate about showing and sharing the love of Jesus in a broken and hurting world. So answer their question. Tell them you're not involved in the politics of it, and you don't know all the details about it. But then tell them what we're doing together as the Send Network and yes, Southern Baptist, to make a difference for the cause of Christ in a broken and would you world. say that that's the same kind of model or kind of that you would use with your parishioners that are hearing the the news? Fair question. Fair question. I warn my church that because I end up being a bit of a public figure at these things, I warn my church, and I don't always know how it's going to go. I mean, there are times when people 
Some of you haven't been around long enough, but in 2007, there was a motion to investigate me on the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention. That was a great year. That was the year I got to speak at Catalyst because there was a motion to investigate me on the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, me and Danny Aiken, actually. So, um, yeah, so, so I do say to them, uh, one of the things that, like, I, I, I recognize that when I mention people's names that people think you're name-dropping, but we, I'm not. I'm just a friend. So Rick Warren called me yesterday, and he said... Um, he you are name-dropping. So, is, is it name-dropping if it actually happened? Yes. Okay. So, I had a pastor friend from the West Coast call me yesterday. And he wanted to get Ed Litton's number. So, I'm basically Ed Litton's assistant, it appears. Um, and he said, I have probably zero detail. We're not recording this, are we? Yes, it is. It's a podcast. He's like, so how, how bad is it? And I said, it's actually going really well. And I told him a little bit about what was going on, et cetera, et cetera. And that was subsequently someone made a motion to remove Saddleback Baptist Church, which I did text him that that, anyway, moving on from that. Uh, but you know, here's the thing, even after that, I had a bunch of people, you know, I, you know, I preach at Saddleback three or four times a year. And so I had a bunch of people text me from that family and they're like, did you guys just remove us from the convention? And I said, no, anybody can come up to a microphone and make a motion. And I want people to understand that. I explained that to my church. So for example, when the guy made a motion that the North American Mission Board investigate the Enneagram, as an Enneagram 8, I had a plan for that right then. So, so but anyone can make a motion and part of the people don't understand. So I have to go back and say, don't listen to the motions, look at the actions. And you should, I want you not to miss this. I don't know how today's gonna go. But at this moment, you should be able to go back to your church and say, that the Southern Baptist Convention at every opportunity affirmed its diverse commitment to a multi-ethnic future. You should be able to go back to your church. Go ahead. You should be able to go back to your church and tell them at every opportunity they affirmed survivors and spoke up, out, and against sexual abuse. So, so here's the thing I don't want you to miss, right? Um, I often write, there's a phrase I use in Southern Baptist life, it's Southern Baptists often do the wrong thing before they do the right thing. So social media is not this convention. Some of you have been watching social media and think this is not who this is not who I want to be a part of. I want to hear I want you to hear this. That's not who we are. You've been seeing who we are. Stay the course. This convention has a bright future with you a part of it. It's going to impact you for the good, and your presence is going to impact Southern Baptist Convention and Network for the good. Thanks. Amen. Amen. So good. Hey, thank you for joining us for this episode of the We Are Send Network podcast. As always, if you want to know more about planting with Send Network, you can text the words Send Network to 888-123, or you can check us out at sendnetwork.com. It's been an amazing week getting podcast in, being here live in the room, but until next time, we are Send Network. You have been listening to We Are Send Network, a resource of the North American Mission Board. For more information about today's podcast and other relevant resources, visit sendnetwork.com.